Well, we're looking at um, the uh, book of Philippians. Uh, it's uh, a new year. Happy New Year. It's good to be together again. Hope uh, you enjoy the day and uh, have had a great Christmas. It's been a, a good time. Lots of things have happened, have happened uh, over these uh, couple of weeks. And uh, here we are back again. We're starting a new series as we, uh, each Sunday, if you're new to the church, we, we look at a part of the Bible each week. And uh, for the next eight weeks, we're going to be uh, particularly uh, delving into a particular book of the Bible called the book of Philippians. It's in the, the New Testament part. If you want to turn it up on the Bibles uh, nearby, it's on page 1178. 1178. We'll be reading it uh, later on. We, we like uh, to, to kind of, in this church, one of the things we love to do is to, to as well read the Word of God and, and, and try and understand what it has to say to us and, and kind of uh, do that, letting the, 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 the book, like Philippians, kind of set the agenda. Uh, over the recent months, we've been looking more at themes, but we're back more into the norm of saying, well, let's look at this whole book and let, let God speak to us through it uh, as we go along, because the themes will come out uh, of that. This is one of the letters, as uh, most of us will know, in the New Testament. Part of the New Testament is made up of, of letters that were written to Christian communities, to churches uh, in the first century. This is one written by the Apostle Paul, uh, or St. Paul, as some people like to call him. Um, he never called himself that. That was quite a few years later. But he did call himself the Apostle Paul. And uh, that meant, basically, that he was one of the key leaders in the early church. The Apostle Paul was someone who encountered Jesus in a very special way. Uh, his, his conversion story is indeed so famous that we often talk about a Damascus Road experience. Ever heard that expression? Well, it was Paul who first met Jesus on the road to Damascus and his life was transformed. And, 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 and this is the man who, who wrote this particular letter. And once he'd encountered Jesus in that amazing way and understood who he was and what he'd done for Paul and for the world for that matter, he gave his life to sharing that good news and teaching the churches that formed in the first century uh, all about the good news of Jesus. And God used Paul to bring us a lot of what is in our New Testament of the Bibles. There are various letters that he wrote, all for kinds, all kinds of different reasons. Some of them, they were sorting out problems. Yes, there were problems in those early churches, just as there are today. Some of the letters he wrote were all about setting out the truth a bit more clearly so that people could, could get it and understand it where they were kind of going off and, and straying a bit from uh, the teaching that Jesus gave. Uh, this one in Philippians is primarily personal. It's a really personal letter. And it's a letter to the Christian community in Philippi, which is on the map. That's why the map has come up there. Because Philippi was a Roman city in, in, the Greek, in Greece today, situated in the northern part of Greece, not far today from the Bulgarian border, in fact. And if you read in Acts chapter 16, which we won't do, there's a, an account of how Paul and a bunch of other people working, traveling with him, God led them very clearly to go to this place called Philippi. And when they got there, they went to the riverside. Oh, by the way, this is what Philippi looks like, or that bit of Philippi. You can still go and visit uh, the ruins of, of parts of the old city of Philippi today. It's a bit small probably, but there's a little sign on the right-hand right side of the map. See that arrow there? That says if you can read it. Anyone read it? It says, to the river. 
And the river was where uh, Paul met this bunch of ladies, uh, Lydia and some others, who were praying every week. There weren't enough of them to form a Jewish synagogue. And you can read all about it in Acts 16. Lydia became a believer and some of these other ladies. And then there was a girl who had been oppressed by a demonic spirit, and she became a believer. And as a result of that, Paul and someone else with him, Silas, got thrown into jail. And then there was an earthquake and a spectacular jail release. And and the jailer became a believer in Jesus, and his whole household was baptized. And that became the beginning of of this little community of believers in Philippi. And after Paul gets released from jail, he leaves the town, uh, but Timothy and Luke uh, probably stay on for a bit to help this church to form. This was the first church in Europe. Hey, so in a way we're connected to that as the gospel came Europe-wise, eventually came to that dark old place, damp, dark, edge of the Roman Empire, England and beyond. Actually, Ireland and Scotland mustn't leave out the Celts, but that's another story. So anyway, that's enough of that. Let's move on before I get into real trouble. Now, what's happened now is all that was a good few years ago. Paul is actually um, uh, in prison now, or at least under house arrest in Rome. Uh, That's where he's clearly uh, confined and what's happened is the Philippian church have, have sent a visitor to see him, to kind of help him out and to encourage him. And, and he's called Epaphroditus, and you can read about, we'll read about him later, not this morning, but as we study this book. And he brought with him a gift of money to say, Paul, look, Philippians, we love you, we're praying for you, we want you to have this money because we know being under house arrest is expensive or whatever, you know, you're in difficulties, have this practical gift. That's what had happened. And that's why Paul writes this letter to say he's so grateful to them. He misses them so much and he's so grateful that he's connected with them. So as we read the letter, it gives us a really helpful look inside the Christian life. What's the Christian life really like? What's it about? We see it in Paul's descriptions of himself and his experience. We see it in what he wants the Philippians to know better. We see what Christian life looks like and we we also see what Christian community looks like. Because as the Holy Spirit who is working through Paul, that's why we've got this and we call it the Word of God. Because the Holy Spirit enabled Paul to, to write this and as he wrote that, what was on God's heart for the Philippian church, that they may grow and develop and uh, then that's what's on the Holy Spirit's heart for every church for that matter. Including this one over in damp, dark Europe, a long way from the sunny skies of Philippi and the Mediterranean. But we mustn't go there again, must we? You see what I'm saying. Are we ready to know what God wants for us then? That's exciting, isn't it, as we look at this book? Let's read it. By the way, if you like, you can sit down at home later. You could read the whole of the book of Philippians in about 15 minutes. Probably read it out loud in that time. It's a good way to read scripture out loud, by the way. You, you hear new things as you read it out loud. So let's read it now. Chapter 1, verses 1 to 11. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all God's people in Christ Jesus at Philippi. Together with the overseers and deacons, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God every time I remember you. 
In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. It is right for me to feel this way about all of you since I have you in my heart and whether I am in chains or defending and confirming the gospel all of you share in God's grace with me God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus and this is my prayer that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ Filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. So we then do this morning. Now if you did read it all, especially if you read it out loud, you'd notice that there are some areas, some themes that come up a lot in this letter. And one of them is right here in verse 4. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy. This is a letter that is overflowing with joy. Actually, the the words for joy or a similar word like rejoice or connected to it, they occur 16 times. That's a lot of times in in, in one letter. He's going on about how joyful he is and how he wants them to be joyful and how he is joyful because of them. And and there's just, it's just joy kind of is spread all over it like, Kind of trifle, uh, cream on the top of a trifle. Going back to Christmas again. Overflowing with joy. Now this is remarkable. Think about it. You see, we do know a lot about Paul. We know about it from the Acts. We know about what he says in his letters. And what we know about Paul is this. Paul was an activist. You know, he, you know whether he had ADHD, I don't know. But you know, he, you could, he was always off doing things. He was a leader. He was a passionate about kind of being in the place to do things for God. I mean, even before he became a Christian, he was wired that way. He was a, 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 someone, he, he traveled, he traveled thousands of miles. And I know it was tough, but he'd love to be in other places. He started churches all over Asia and Europe. He was a very keen guy. He was always going back to see the people in the churches he, he started. He, he longed to go to the very edges of the empire, which at that time was Spain. He says that in Romans. I'm hoping to go to Spain. And I hope to visit you, he says in the Roman church, on the way to Spain. I don't think he'd heard of England because it was just a very unknown place. But I'm sure if he'd heard of us, he'd have wanted to go to whatever it is we were called in the Roman Empire. Someone will know why I haven't written it down. But anyway, we know that Paul is an activist. Now, he's under house arrest, at least. He might actually have moved on from house arrest into proper jail where he was later in this Roman imprisonment, actually, before he was finally executed. This must surely be the worst possible thing for someone like the Apostle Paul. To be limited. But he's still joyful, and it just bubbles out of him as he he dictates this letter. Now, here's a question. How do you feel about limitations? How do I? 
you know, circumstances, health, commitments, the people you work with, the house group you lead, perhaps, or, or whatever, the church you're part of, limitations. Paul is limited, and yet he knows great joy despite the limitations. What about you? What about me? You see, I think there's something we can really learn through this book, through Paul's example, through what he says about being joyful, as he says right at the end, in all circumstances. How do you do that? Well, verse 3 tells us, partly, he says, I'm thankful, I thank my God every time. God has done something for him. God has worked in his life. God has rescued him. In, in what Jesus has done, God has been, uh, sorry, in what God has done for Paul through Jesus, Paul has been transformed. And he never forgot that. And that was a source of joy to him. He's, as we shall see, he was joyful because of what he saw in others and what God was doing. And I think this letter is going to help us maybe as we struggle to know that same joy. As our limitations kind of can, can just, you know, crush it out of us sometimes. To know that joy is possible. It's one of the ways God works or can work in our experience. It's actually a mark of true spiritual life, isn't it? So I need to ask myself, I'm talking to me as well, where is that joy in our lives? Where is joy in our church experience? Shall we pray that we'll know more joy in 2016? Is that a good thing to pray for? You see, limitations don't have to have the last word on our lives. God does. We see that in verse 1. Look at what verse 1 says about these believers in Philippi. They are God's holy people. God's people set apart. God's kind of specially concerned for them. Why? Because they are in Christ Jesus. They're connected to Jesus. They belong to him. They're secure in what he has done. We'll celebrate that in a moment in communion. That's bigger. That's bigger than the limitations we face, surely. See, joy comes from the life of God in us. It's there deep in our spiritual DNA. What happens when you become a Christian? You are born from above, the Bible says. We're given new life by the Holy Spirit. God comes into our lives. We're born into his family. We kind of start... You get getting his DNA kind of gets stitched into our spiritual DNA, if you like. We begin to change. And one of the evidences of that is fruit in our lives. Remember what Galatians 5 says about the fruit of the Spirit? What is the second fruit of the Spirit? Anybody? Joy. Yes. Love, joy, peace, and so on. But, lots of Christians talk about, I've got joyful, I'm joyful. It's deep. It's a deep, it's a deep joy. So deep, you need a coal miner to get at it. That's not what it's about, is it? Some, but sometimes our joy can go like that. And please, if you're feeling depressed, I'm not, please, uh, that's different. I understand that. I don't, don't be guilty about that. There are times when circumstances make it difficult. But, but you know, like a plant... 
It can grow on its own or with the right stuff. But you know, give it light, give it water, give it fertilizer, give it a bit of help, give it space, give it a bit of trellis, and it will grow even better. And maybe our joy can be like that. Maybe our joy in our own lives needs a bit of nurturing. Certainly, as a church family, we need to learn how to be nurtured in joy. And there are three things in this passage which I think kind of point to ways that joy can grow in our experience. So that it isn't like, a, like you know, joy in our lives needn't be like an iceberg with whatever it is, 90% under the surface. More of it can come up. So let's see what they are. Here's the first one. Paul says, first of all, that, first of all, that joy grows through fellowship. See, why does Paul find himself joyful as he prays for the Philippians? Well, there it is in verse 5. Because of your partnership in the gospel. Now, that's a strong word. It's the word for fellowship. Now, fellowship, I I, I said this before, is, I think, a much better word to use in church than it used to be. In the old days, uh, the fellowship was about having coffee after church. And, and, you know, lots of us had to explain what fellowship was. Now anyone who's watched The Lord of the Rings knows what fellowship is. The fellowship of the ring. You know, that, that sense of banded, being kind of welded together with a strong loyalty and a, a kind of reason to, to be on the journey together. That, that, you know, Tolkien kind of captures the original word, the original idea of fellowship much better than you know, cheap coffee after church. That's no, we, we, no offense to why. I'm talking about other churches, of course. <laughs> Oops, there we are. Anyway, I look forward to my later. Whoever's making it, give me a strong one. That'll be good. Lord of the, Lord of the Rings gives us an idea of that. Because this word has the idea of being shareholders. Being together in something. And Paul says, you're together with me in the good news. The good news is the gospel. Partners in the gospel. What is this good news? This good news as we celebrated at Christmas. That Jesus has come. That the world is now different. That God has done something in Jesus. And begun the the, the changing of everything. That we can know God's rescue from the sin that separates us from him. And ruins the whole of our lives and our world. And that we can know instead of that the reign of Jesus in our lives. That is the good news. That is what we have fellowship in. In the sense of that's, that's our good news as well. Because we've known it. We've embraced it. It's come to us. And, and we know that reign. We know that rescue. We'll celebrate it in a moment or two. There's a sharing in the good news. There's a sharing in God's grace, Paul says in verse 7. Because this is a message, a truth A good news that brings God's activity into our lives. That's what grace means. It means God's been gracious to us, but it also means that God works in us. God does things in our lives. It's good news. God's generosity in saving us and the work of his spirit helping us to live his way. And for the Philippians, there's a share, actually a sharing, he says, in their personal history. It's really lovely. He says, I, you, were, you were with me in the gospel from the first day until now. And he's thinking of that first day when he arrived at the river. And Lydia was there and those others. And he's thinking, I remember when you were baptized, Lydia. And the girl who had the demon and the jailer and his family. Paul is saying, I, we share that together. 
And it's great, isn't it, to be able to kind of look around our fellowship and say, yeah, you know, I, I remember, yeah, uh, you know, Amanda, when you were baptized and came to faith. And, and we can all say, yeah, we remember that. We were part of that. And sorry to pick on you, Amanda, but, you know, uh, there are others here like that. I knew you wouldn't mind. Uh, and that's why we need new Christians in our fellowship. We share history. That's why baptisms are important. And let's have a few more of them in 2016, shall we? Should we pray for some? And when they're there, let's be there and be part of that spiritual history so that we share together in what God does. Because joy comes that way, or rather joy grows that way. Notice how Paul, Paul talks here several times. He says this phrase, all of you. Did you notice that? Verse 4, all my praise for all of you. Verse 6, it talks about a good work among you, which has this, this idea of all of you. It's not in this version. Verse 7, it's right for me to feel this way about all of you. Verse 7, all of you share in God's grace with me. Verse 8, I long for all of you. You see, they're functioning together. Paul is saying, you're, 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 a, you're a family. I care for all of you because you're all of you. In that sense, he says, you're all kind of one group as far as I'm concerned. Look at what he says at the beginning in chapter verse 1. To all God's holy people in Christ Jesus at Philippi, together with the overseers and deacons, the church leaders. They're God's holy people together with the leaders. It's not, I'm writing to the leaders and they're writing to the people. And sometimes as churches begin to lose this sense of togetherness, and I've sometimes spotted it here, there's this sense about the leaders are over here, and well, that's the leaders. Everyone's either saying the leaders are doing this or they're not doing this. They're either, woo, great, or they're, oh, we can't stand what they're doing. But the point about when you get to that is the leaders are there and everyone else thinks they're over here. And already you've lost this sense of the leaders being together with God's people. All of us, all of you, says Paul. It matters to him. They're one. It's what he wants to encourage more and more, and it comes up a lot in this letter. There's a lot in this letter about unity. There's a lot in this letter about shared life. So there's joy that comes from being together. There's joy through fellowship. There's joy when it's all of us that belong. And when we're together. And let's face it, it's an area which we can struggle in, isn't it? We struggle because of our, our Western culture. We struggle because of our circumstances. You know, we've got busy lives and we've got families and we live, some of us, away from the church and that's okay. Don't, don't stop coming. But we, I mean, it becomes harder to, to kind of be together so easily. You know, Western life, all of that kind of stuff. And there can be good reasons. But I also think, can I say, that there's a particular aspect of the culture of this church, Portswood Church, which makes this difficult. And I don't know what it is. Wish I did. As leaders, we're praying about it. Can we make 2016 different? Can we pray that it is? Because, you see, if we don't celebrate togetherness, if we don't live togetherness, how much joy do we miss? How much joy is there to be had if we could learn and grow and overcome 
the barriers and the struggles, whatever they are, that we have in this area. We can, let's pray that. Because joy grows through fellowship. And if your life is, you know, the joy is so deep that it's invisible, might, you know, being a bit more involved with other believers, maybe in your college or at university, in the church here, in your neighborhood, you know, is that a way to find a bit more joy coming up to the surface in our lives? Second thing, joy grows as we see God at work in us. Verse 6 is a great description of the Christian life. Paul, as he prays, he says, I'm confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. That's a description of the Christian life in a nutshell. I know, I think, actually thinking of baptism, I think, Rob, when you were baptized, that was the verse we shared and prayed for you. He who began a good work will bring it to completion. That began is a strong word. It's actually a word that, it's, it's a word that means inaugurated. You know, started something that was not like many of our New Year's resolutions. You know, I think we'll do this in 2016. Now, this is a word that only belongs to God. God inaugurated. He began something. A program is a word, was activated at the moment we came to Christ. Actually, it started way before then, but that's another story. And God is going to complete it. He's going to do that. And this idea here is that, that he, this, this idea of God completing it is it, it's the idea of God is continuing. It's like someone adding, like a great artist working on a fantastic piece of art. You know, it's never quite finished, is it? You know, they always think, oh, let's do a bit more here and a bit more there. It's like completely add, adding finishing touches all the way through. It implies that, that God uh, has come into our lives. He's working in our lives And he will continue to work in our lives right to the day of Christ. The day of Christ is the second coming. It's another phrase in the Bible for the end of everything. Like the day of the Lord in the Old Testament. So Paul knows that God is at work. And we see this theme, this idea comes up time and time again in the book of Philippians. God is at work. He's at work in Christians. He's working believers. He's at work through Christians. And this working of God, as it were, connects Paul with the Christians there because God's working in Paul's life as well. As he says, whether I'm in prison or whether I'm free, later on he says, I I know God is with me, I'm content. Whether he's got great limitations or fewer limitations, there's a connection. He knows God is at work and it brings him joy. And you know, we find joy grows in us. As we start to look and to discover what God is doing in our lives. As we expect this constant and continual work of God. It doesn't have to be spectacular. may not be the same every day. But as we realize it in ourselves and as we share it with others, as Paul and the Philippians did, so joy is watered and joy starts to grow among us. Now we need to learn this a bit more, don't we? Again, in our particular subculture as a church, many of us are introverts, lots of us are quiet, lots of us don't want to make a fuss, lots of us, most of us don't want to be at the center of attention. Many of us think, well, if I, you know, don't want to be seen to be proud. 
And all these things stop us from doing it. There's something about our church culture maybe where it's kind of not cool to share, you know. To say, well, actually, this is what God's done in my life. Or actually, this week. Or actually, I've had a terrible week. I've been struggling with this, you know. It's robbing us of our joy. Because the Bible expects God's people, people in Christ, to be full of the Holy Spirit. And that doesn't mean that we're happy all the time and that everything's going easy. But we do know that God is at work changing us. Because that is what Christian community looks like. Joy grows as we see God at work in us. So how can that happen? How can that happen a bit more naturally? How does it happen more easily? Is there an appropriate way for us to see this growing in 2016? Well, hold on to that thought and look at the third way that joy grows for Paul here. And the third way is joy grows as we pray. Because as Paul, he says that, doesn't he? Right there in verse 3, verse 4. In my prayers for all of you, I pray with joy. Kind of jo- Paul, Paul knows joy growing in his experience as his prayers seem to kind of reinforce his connection with the Philippians. What he knows of God's work in them causes him, even in his limitations, to be thankful for what God's doing in the lives of his brothers and sisters. There's more of that, actually, later even on in this chapter. And see, so he prays. Now, perhaps this is a way we could do this more, you know, sharing of what God is doing in, in our lives without us kind of slipping into becoming a kind of therapy group, if you see what I mean. Because I think that some of us f- fear this kind of sharing because we think, I, I'm, you know, it's gonna, I'm not going to be in therapy here, you know. Maybe here's a way, here's a track towards it. What can I thank God for that he's done in your life? What could I pray to thank God for what he's done in your life this week? Or what can I pray for you? Can I do that now? Is that so hard? If you asked me that question, I'd say probably I would. I would say I've had a terrible week actually. been dreadful in some ways. I've been discouraged. I might not be able to tell you why, but you could pray for me. I want to see God at work in my life, helping me to know what to do next. Is that so hard to share? Is that so hard for us to do with one another after church or when we have a cup of coffee or in a home group or when we have a meal together or when we're with our friends in lounge or youth group or wherever? If we make it to those places, of course. Because in that, there's joy. In that sharing. In that praying. And in verse 9, Paul shares what he's praying for the Philippians. What he wants God to do in their lives. Look at verse 9. This is my prayer. This is what Paul wants for the Philippians. Who's put that on Paul's heart? The Holy Spirit. This is what the Holy Spirit wants for the Philippian church. Do you think the Holy Spirit wants anything different for our church or your, your life or mine? I don't think so. Maybe more, but not certainly different to this. So let's read it. Let's find out what the Holy Spirit wants for us in verse 9. 
This is my prayer that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Could be another message here, but there won't be. That's okay. I'm going to be finished in a couple of minutes. But here they are, some headlines. He wants their love to abound, their love to overflow. Love for Jesus, love for other people. See, that's the only way that this works, isn't it? Without it kind of coming out of a love for Jesus and coming out of because of our love for him, a love for other people, we're just left with a load of empty spiritual exercises or trying to be good or, you know, trying to be better keen Christians or something. And that is awful. It destroys people. It, seemed, it works for a while, but in the end, it'll suck the life out of you because all you're doing is behaving in a certain way because that's what your peer group think you should do. Now, Paul says, I want your love for Jesus to be overflowing. I want that to grow. I want your love for one another to grow out of that. I want what you do, as we heard on the away day, when you do the spiritual disciplines, you're putting yourself in the way of God's grace. You're not saying, I'm trying to be a better believer. I'm just saying, I want to be here in prayer. I want to be with my brothers and sisters because I want to love them and I want to love Jesus. That's why I want to do these things. So please don't hear what I'm saying is pray more, read your Bible more, do it. No, or even to say love Jesus more because I can't tell you to do that. But that's what Paul prays that they will love, that we will love Jesus more and will love one another more. He prays that it will come with greater knowledge and understand. That means understanding and greater insight. What's insight? It's connected to the Old Testament word for wisdom. It means knowing how to live. Knowing how to put it into practice. It's about doing it, not just knowing it. The Western church knows so much stuff. You know, we look across at the, the church in other parts of the world and we criticize it for being whatever it was, five miles wide and two inches deep or whatever. And we're, but we in the West, we know everything and we do practically nothing. Paul says you want knowledge and you want insight. You need to know what to do. And he goes on to kind of apply that. Because we love Jesus, because we love one another, then we can choose to be pure and we can be blameless. You see that? He says you need to know what is best. You need to make choices about our behavior that's based on our love for Jesus. And out of that, we choose to be pure on the inside. And I don't need to tell you what that means, I don't think. So that then we are blameless as people see the outside. And that grows and that develops until we see Jesus face to face. That's why we make these choices, because Jesus is coming back. And at that time, Paul says, there's going to be a great harvest of righteousness that just sings an anthem, as it were, of how great God, how great God is. And how great and glorious he is, is seen in what he's done in transforming uh, and enabling and keeping people like us with all our struggles and our weaknesses and our, our, our kind of minimal joy that I pray will grow. All of those things, he's going to complete it and he'll bring us to himself. And our lives will be adding a kind of a harmony, a part to that symphony of praise to God on that last day. Do you want your life to be part of that? Do I? Well, let's reflect, let's make choices that reflect that, shall we? About our purity, 
and about being not open to accusation from others. Let's pray for this joy to grow in our experience individually and together in 2016. As we share together in real fellowship, as we grow in seeing God working continuously among us, and as we pray and seek God for more of him, that's what this last prayer is. We want more of God's love in our lives. Now, in the course of the year, you're going to be hearing about a plan that we're working to as a strategic leadership team. And there's some great things in the plan. It's about five things. I'm not going to go into details. But you'll hear about how we want in the next five years to see 200 people at least coming back to Jesus or starting afresh with him in discipleship. We're going to be, be working towards seeing all of us growing in the gifts that God's given us and using those gifts, either within the fellowship or our front lines or wherever. We're going to be working and praying towards uh, disciples of all ages being developed, especially children, young people uh, and younger adults, but all of us as well. And that being leading, leading into baptisms and growth and all of that kind of thing. We're going to be working for all of us to be fruitful on our front lines. And we want to be growing in a heart of, uh, for God in our love for Christ. That's where we want to be going in the next five years. So you'll hear more about it. But listen, it, this can only happen out of an overflow of joy. Because of God working in us. And because we love Jesus. Otherwise, it's just an empty shell. It's going to be terrible. So, let's pray for that. Maybe start some conversations. There's a verse in Psalm 110, verse 3, that says, When God gets going, when God goes into battle, his people are willing in the day of his power. Let's be those people. And if, as you've been listening to me, you've been thinking, well, I don't know quite what you're talking about, but I think I like this new life. I'd like to know this joy. Or maybe you do know what I'm talking about, but you've never actively asked Jesus. Say, Jesus, I'm turning from myself and I'm coming to you. I want you to be my Lord. Well, why not start 2016 with a prayer like that? Take a step forward. Or maybe take another step. Maybe it's time in this year that you got baptized. I don't know. Some step saying, Lord, I want to move ahead with you. Let's respond as the band leads us in a prayer. And then we'll move on into communion.